0: Now, we are cruising through season eight. And again, I'm just dumbfounded at how much ground we've covered. It's uh, seriously crazy. And I don't know about you, but I feel the momentum building starting at the beginning of this season, you know, going to the HPB Expo in Atlanta, hosting the the live conversations that you heard in this podcast earlier on, and then giving out the fire time journal. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but at that trade show, something was made abundantly clear to me. And it's really that there are two kinds of companies out there. There are the companies that have mailed it in and they just want to write it out and they've been doing it the same way and, and and they're not going to change. And there are companies that want to do things differently and make an impact. Now, I don't think that age has to do with this. I don't think that the amount of time in the industry has to do with this. I think it's a mentality. And truly, I mean... This movement is growing. And while I think that we are the minority, we are gaining ground and this industry will look different because of it. And it's it's really cool to be a part of that with you. So as we jump into today's conversation, this is something truly like when we talk about the, the dichotomy of, of these different types of companies, this conversation is really kind of a dividing line where we're going to be talking about sales follow-up today. Very often when I go into a business, if a company wants to grow their sales and they haven't implemented a follow-up process, it's the number one thing I'll tell them to do. You know, truly, if you want to grow your sales by 50% without spending a penny on marketing, build a follow-up process. I mean, seriously, it it is going to happen. It's so powerful to do this because everybody else is quote-unquote too busy now we can get into it and talk about who should do the follow-up you know if you're a, if you're a one-person operation that's it's really tough so I'm not I'm not saying that if you're a real small company that this is easy but if you want to grow that's the key word if you want to grow and have control over your business and control over the jobs that you say yes to build a follow-up process you won't regret it and so in today's conversation we have Sam O'Donnell back on the show now as you heard him earlier when we talked about Backlog a number of episodes ago, me and Sam worked together at Fireside Home Solutions. He was an unbelievable retail salesperson. I mean, so good at what he does. And he's very thoughtful and he's meticulous with how to work the sales funnel. Now you think about this. Okay, what's the sales funnel? Well, at the top of the funnel, you've got a customer going to your website or coming into your showroom. You get a lot of them. There's a the very top of the funnel. Well, not all of them move on to the next step, which would be getting an estimate. But a few do. Now, even fewer invite you out to their house. Even fewer get that appointment actually completed and get the bid finalized. And even fewer make a purchase, right? So you've got a funnel. It's bigger at the top than it is at the bottom. Well, what do most companies spend their time on? They spend their time at the top of the funnel. I got to get people to my website. I got to get impressions. I got to get brand awareness. I'm not against those things. Those are all great things. You know, I got to help the people that are calling me on the phone or in my showroom. But that's the top of the funnel. When you've been out to a customer's house and finalized that bid, they are much closer to purchasing than the folks at the top of the funnel. And very often, we completely ignore these customers. Now, you need a full sales funnel. So you do want to help the people on the phones. You do want to help the people in the showroom. But truly, I would rather have a team member working the bottom of the funnel if I had to. If I had to pick, I'd rather have them work the bottom of the funnel because those are the customers that are closer to making a purchase. Now, it's all important, but we don't forget about helping the people in the showroom or on the phones because it interrupts our day and we have to. But we always forget about following up with the folks who have already trusted us to come into their home. And that's what this episode is all about. Now, it doesn't take a lot of time. Truly, if you can dedicate one hour, three days a week, you will revolutionize your sales process. And even at the beginning, just take one hour, one day a week, you'll revolutionize it. And today, truly, I mean, I am talking with one of the authorities on follow-up in our industry, and that's Sam O'Donnell. He is absolutely incredible and everything we talk about in this conversation is based on his own experience. So I'm going to get out of the way so you can hear the conversation. I absolutely have some thoughts to wrap it up at the end. Joining me once again from Minneapolis, Minnesota is the director of sales at Wi-Fi. I'm here today with Sam O'Donnell. Sam, thanks so much for being back on the show, man. How you doing?
1: Back again. Good to see you, Tim. I'm good.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, you know, we we talked earlier this season about backlog, and that was great. But Sam, I got to tell you, uh, if you have a superpower, I think it it has to do with follow-up. There's a lot of things you're good at, but I have seen you, dude, just like master this. So yeah, I want to just talk today right off the bat about like, where did you learn the the power of follow-up and like how has it benefited you over your career?
1: I can tell you this, it doesn't come naturally. It's the learned behavior. <laughs> in all honesty, like I've I've become good at it. I'm meticulous about it. I don't even want to say that I'm good at it. I just <laughs> I place a lot of importance on it. And I learned it early on. So before my first career out of college was in the commercial insurance space. So the only way that I could drum up new business was to make phone calls. That was the only way I could do it on the phone. I mean, I could join industry associations, but at the end of the day, if I'm trying to build a book of business, it's on the phone. And making a single phone call to somebody and not getting the outcome you want, if if that's all that you were going to rely on, you were going to be out of the business pretty quick. I think at, you know, at that age, I was probably 22. I had a little more tenacity than I do now. Um, and I had a second job after that that was also a sort of a cold calling job that was in like professional chauffeur services, but the entire thing was on the phone. So I picked up the skills early on before I got into the hearth industry. And then I landed at Fireside working for you. I didn't think follow up was going to be necessary there because customers came to us. This is the first time in my sales career that I had business walking into my door.
0: Oh, crazy. Think about I, okay. That. I I yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd never experienced anything like that. And so when you get into that environment where business comes to you, it it was natural for me to think, "Oh, I don't need to follow up with customers, they just walk into my door." However, If you want to grow and you want to be successful as a salesperson and you want to improve, you got to follow up. And I would say in our industry, follow-up is probably the single most overlooked behavior by salespeople just universally. Like Tim, you know this. In the last, what, two months, I've probably been to 35 to 40 retailers. Oh, at least. You've
0: been, on like, you've been on like the world tour.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been on the world tour and it's fun and I learn a lot. And I've been on the phone with retailers learning about their business every day for the last two months. And again, I have a great time with it. And there are some, some people that run great businesses. I have yet to speak to one business that has any sort of follow-up process. Mm. Like the most intuitive follow-up process that I've seen so far is that gigantic stack of papers that sits behind the desk, and I'll ask about it, and they'll say, "Oh, those are all the the people that didn't want to buy anything." And I'm like, "They didn't want to buy anything, or like, do you call them back? Are you sure they don't want to buy anything?" That's like, "Oh, well, they they would have bought something if they wanted to." <laughs> and I remember the story that you told me. So you were at a previous job, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tell this story. Well, behind the desk, there's what?
0: Yeah, gosh, man, we had we had a giant. It was like a. <sighs> It wasn't a Rolodex. It was like a big brown alphabetized folder. I can, it's like burned into my memory. And we did a good job of writing up estimates. But the problem was they just sat in there. And I, I literally remember one day, my boss's wife came downstairs from his office and she told us, she was like, you know, I, I added up all the amount of jobs in here last night. And this is like, this thing's by hand. So she must've been there with a calculator at night, like calculating this stuff up. She's like, I added up all of this and there's over a million dollars worth of business in here. And I literally being was like, what? No, there's not. That's just, that's just where we throw all the jobs that, you know, people weren't that serious about. And I was like, I was just, I was shocked that she had the audacity to say, there's over a million dollars of business in here. That was, that was, yeah, that was my story. I was, I was an idiot. I was an idiot.
1: Well, that's pretty typical in our industry. And I don't, I don't say that to belittle. Like I I really don't. I I just think it's a skill. It's a skill and a behavior that gets overlooked. And I think part of it is because we have business coming to us. And right now with Hmm. the state of the industry, I can kind of understand, like we can't get product we're booked out so many weeks. We can't find labor. Like It's hard to follow up with a customer and say, hey, I'd love to sell you a fireplace, but it's going to be eight months. Like That's not a very appealing proposal. However, I think in the meantime, start to develop your follow-up process. So if this is a behavior that you want to become important, there has to be an organized way for you to figure out how to do it. And a stack of papers, I hate to state, if that's all you got, like that's still a way to do it. But in this day and age with the technology we have, like literally type in Google Sheets. That's like an Excel file that you could type a customer's name, phone number, and the product and the dollar amount of a job that, that you've bid them out on. In fact, Tim, I, I don't know if we can make this request here. I'd be happy to send anybody. Our Google Sheets CRM that we came up yeah. with. In all honesty, I'd be happy to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes for sure.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Like, this is a behavior that I really want to see from people. And I say that because it, it transformed me as a salesperson in Hearth Retail, like 100%. Like, I started off thinking I was skillful, thinking I had it down. And we finally got into the rhythm of following up with customers and my numbers, like, Doubled almost instantly. And I realized I'm like, why have I not been doing this? Yeah. I think the biggest resistance to most people is going to be one, I'm bugging people, or I'm afraid that I'm going to get snapped at. Yeah. And I get that. Like on a daily basis, I have that fear. But as soon as you start to exhibit the behavior, you're going to realize that one, people probably appreciate it more than they resent it. Yeah. Two, the worst case scenario is not that bad. Like Tim, do you have any horror stories from following up with customers?
0: Oh, dude, I've got. Yeah, I have a doozy, and I I don't I don't, I have probably told the story in the podcast before. I mean, the short version is I I have a doozy where, I mean, a customer. Oh, she just lit me up. She and it, it went back to the interaction in the showroom. She thought that I was pushy and aggressive. Um, I went to call her back. She just absolutely bit my head off. And I hung up the phone and there was a guy sitting next to me named Pat Budson. Pat was in his uh, mid-70s, He 40 years industry experience. I mean, unbelievable salesperson, the best pure salesperson I've ever met in our industry. So the the phone rings and I look and it's this lady who had just Rip my head off calling back and I looked at Pat and I I just told him, I'm like, Pat, I can't, I can't pick up this phone. You got to take this call. So he picked up the phone. He listened. It's a pretty hilarious story what he did, but he just listened and he apologized for me and said, oh yeah, you know, Tim's one of our young guys. He gets so excited about making the sale. I'm oh, man, I'm, I'm really sorry that, that you went through this. I mean, it's, it's just, that's just terrible. And I'm going to make sure that this is, that this is right. And he hung up the phone and you know, I was, I was like, that's kind of weird that he did that. And Pat was just part-time working for me then. A couple minutes later, Pat goes to, to pick up the phone. And I was like, Pat, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm calling her back. And I'm like, what is he doing? He calls her back and he apologizes because not only did she have this horrible experience with me, but the price I gave her was too high. And if she wanted to come in that day, she could actually save a couple hundred dollars on her fireplace insert. He hangs with the phone and he's like, Tim, you better go find somewhere to be because she's coming in to buy it. And no joke, she came in to buy it. I literally hid in the closet of our showroom for 30 minutes because like she couldn't see me you know, in my office and Pat was where Anyways, the whole thing. So all that to say... Is you? I guarantee you're not going to be hiding in the closet of your own business like I was based on a follow up call. But even then, we made the sale.
1: You made the sale, and I honestly I don't have any horror stories from following up. Like I've had people sort of snap at me and be rude, but like that's the extent of it. I still haven't overcome the fear intrinsically. Oh yeah, my heart still pumps a little bit sometimes before I call people. But it's still a behavior that I exhibit, and especially now in my current role, it's all I got. Like I absolutely have to.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not over the fear either. I think it's just the fear of the unknown, the, the risk of failure. I think that's a really good point. I, I'm not over that fear either. Um, but I'm comfortable with the behavior, and and I think that's the thing. Is like you can just trust the process. One one thing that I'm thinking about, like, you know, when it comes to follow up. Um, there was a there was a time, this is going back, I don't know, seven years ago. There was a high-end builder I was trying to get. And we connected a little bit over Instagram. Uh, I drove a couple hours to go to the city that he was in. We met at his office. We we're looking at some real high-end fireplaces. And I wasn't getting an answer. And so I ordered two pizzas just to be delivered to his office. And I had them spell in like pepperoni and olives, the, the message that I wanted to give him. And I'm telling you, I got a call back like right away. And I, Wait, I pulled you that, did that. Oh yeah. I pulled that trick out a couple times. Like if you ever get a pizza from me, it means I'm trying to sell you something. And you know, I, I it just, cause it, it, it's something that sticks out. It like, it, it shows persistence. I mean, on another hand, I, you know, just recently we had a situation, Sam, where we were working with someone on, on uh, a sales opportunity where, where we just felt like it was absolutely right for them. And this person was busy and they had a lot of other things going on. And so I ended up just texting them, and I just said, look, I'm just going to invoice you for this. And you don't have a choice because it's going to help you. So uh, just be, just be on the lookout for it. And they wrote back and said, okay, cool. Like I'll do that. Thanks for They Kind of laughed about it. Now, these are situations like you can't order every customer a pizza. You also can't uh, force your customers to buy from you and saying, I'm just going to invoice you for this this fireplace. But there are situations where you, you can kind of strong arm a little bit if you've earned it with the relationship. And I think that follow-up does build the relationship, doesn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I think there's a there's a point here. One of the ways to overcome fear of following up with customers is to call with some value. Like, don't just call and say, hey, just checking in. Did you want to buy that from me? Is there a promotion? Was there a job similar to the one that they were going to install that you have photos of that you can send and say, hey, thought of you. This looks just like what you wanted to do. Super happy with how it turned out. What do you think? Like, So if you can call and bring something to the table as opposed to just calling and asking for money, yeah. to me, that helps overcome the fear. That's great advice. It's like a, it's like Bradley yeah. Hartman, right? Deliver value first, yeah. you're yeah. owed nothing.
0: Well, when you, when you say that about the installation stuff, I mean, that's such a good idea, right? If your install crew comes back from a job and you've got a great picture of a ZC gas fireplace that's similar to one you bit out the other day, what customer is going to get mad if you call them and you just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. We installed this awesome job and it reminded me of your project. I just want to send you a picture of it. Like, that's just a gracious
1: act. It's a very gracious act, and it has power. But again, I, I to me, it goes back to if fear is one of the number one barriers to people following up, then find a way to, to add some value, and it, it eliminates that fear. Or at least you're bringing something to the table, so you feel like you're not just calling and begging. Yeah, You're actually you're adding value.
0: Yeah. We'll get back to our conversation with Sam O'Donnell in just a little bit. Hey, if you're listening to this episode in real time, you know that we just finished up the fire time workshop. And I'm telling you, this thing was incredible. You know, we met together live in Seattle, Washington for three days and helped a select amount of business owners walk through every step of their business and make a plan to take control of it for the future. But here's what's awesome. We filmed it. And this is broken down into an online course for you. If you've been listening to this podcast and thinking, gosh, I want help doing this. What does it look like in detail? How do I take advantage of putting it into play? You need to take advantage of this. And and maybe the cost was too much. And I understand flying across the country to Seattle, this is a time commitment and it's not cheap. This online workshop is available at a fraction of the cost. It's only $1,500 and literally it's yours for the rest of your life. To watch over and over with your team. If you've been listening to the podcast and thinking I want to make sure I do it right, you've got to check out the online version of the Firetime Workshop. And you can do that by going to it's slash workshop. That's it's slash workshop. So okay, let's let's start to get real practical and maybe maybe we'll speak from our experience of of when we worked together on the team at Fireside but like how do you start no one has time to do this so how do you start
1: first i think it starts with having like we talked about before like i'm happy to send you our our crm but you got to log your opportunities in an organized fashion there's no way that you can begin to follow up with customers unless you have a place to start from yeah, and you can be as detailed with that as you want. I mean, it can be a name and a phone number and the name of the unit that you discussed or bid out, or it can go as deep as rating the job, the dollar value. However detailed you want to get, you got to start somewhere. That way, you have you have a list of people that you can actually call back. The second piece of it, you're going to have to set time aside to do it. You have to prioritize it. So I understand. We're all busy. We've got a million things going on. The phone's ringing. People are walking in the door. It never ends in a retail store, but it's not a priority unless you make it one. So, step one: organize your opportunities. Step two: make time for it.
0: Okay, Sam. So I, I love that. Like we have to organize our customers, and we have to make time. the The excuse is, well, my showroom is always full of customers. My phone is always ringing. My first answer is, no, it's not. Like even the busiest showroom, unless it is like a Saturday in season, it's not always like that. It just feels like that. But who's more important? The customer that you're following up with or the customer coming into the showroom? If you have to pick one, who are you going to
1: serve? Oh, no question. You've already gone down the path with the customer that you're going to follow up with, right? You already spent 45 minutes in the showroom with them. You've already been out to their house. You already spent 20 minutes writing up their estimate. So now you're just going to set that opportunity behind the desk and try to start that process all over again, (laughs) only just to probably do the same thing over again, right? Until the next customer walks in. So if you, I mean, you've already made an upfront investment in that estimate that's sitting behind the desk, right? You couldn't have written up the estimate unless you talked them through product on the floor, went out to their house and actually wrote up the proposal. Man, that kills me, Tim.
0: Oh, dude. It's just okay, I used I used to work I used to work at a pizza place and this analogy is terrible, but I'm just thinking about like what if every single day I rolled out the dough and then I put the sauce on, I got all the toppings on, and I put the pizza right on the edge of the oven. But I didn't put it in the oven, and then I just went and started making another pizza. And then I just started making another pizza like you're never gonna get a pizza. Like you're just I mean, the analogy breaks down. But like you're doing three quarters of the work and not getting the payoff. And then you're just going to go do it again and again and again and again. Like that is crazy. Last week I was working with a business and we were, we were kind of going through some of this stuff. And for, uh, for two of their, of their salespeople in the last year, they've written up over $8 million in bids that are the ones they hadn't won. So that's in addition to all the sales that they made. They had an additional $8 million between two people, which that blew impressive. my mind. Like That's a lot of business. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so impressive. But what what it made me think about is, you know, wow. So what would happen if instead we wrote up maybe $5 million in bids, but we were laser focused on our follow-up with it? I, I have to think that, that there'd be a pretty good payday there
1: that would i think that would bear more fruit than continuing to like writing up more estimates has less value than writing up less and and focusing in on on capitalizing on opportunities and i think it's it's an easy rhythm to get into right like i put it this way tim serving people that walk in the door is how opportunities get started but that's reactive behavior like you react to what walks in the door and that's okay Obviously it's a, it's a necessary part of the job, but following up is a proactive behavior, which is tough. Like proactive behaviors are are just that they're proactive because they require that, that you take the time to do them and you have discipline to do them. So it's far easier to react to what comes at you and be happy about it or complain about it than it is to actually be disciplined, sit down. Take the time and focus on what's actually going to move the needle for you, and that's what follow up will do.
0: So, if we're if we're thinking about this, like I'm just reminding back to to our time together working on the retail team, how did we make time for it in the in the busyness of everything?
1: An hour or two a week, we were granted to get off of the showroom floor. Whether that was to go sit in the back office, whether that was to go to a coffee shop, an hour or two a week, each one of our sales team was able to, not able to, was actually required to. Get off the floor and make follow-up calls, and I—I'll remember this forever. You always said that is the most productive hour or two that you'll get out of each one of us all week. I didn't believe that at first until we started doing it, and I'm like, actually, he's right. That's when I started to capitalize on all of my opportunities.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I just I—I I, I think about that. You know, we we talked about we talked about uh, you know, backlog a number of episodes ago. But if you think about this, like you know, you've got a number of estimates that are written up. So you've got $150,000 worth of, worth of open estimates in that hour. You, you might have four people give you a deposit over the phone, right? I mean, that's, that's not unheard of. And I mean, all of a sudden, what that's twenty five, twenty eight thousand $28,000 in an hour of work. Like that's pretty good. So I, I, I do think it's, it's hard because the showroom is, you can't neglect the showroom too much, but the, the stuff you're following up on is a more mature book of business than people coming in. And if I have to choose, like gun to my head, if I have to choose between closing sales that are more mature versus closing sales that are that are immature, like I'm, I'm going to pick going after mature sales every day of the week. Now, the beauty is you don't have to choose. And just like you're saying, Sam... Out of a team member working 40 hours for you, just two hours on follow-up will skyrocket their success and hopefully pay them a lot more money.
1: I'm curious about this. Let me ask you this question. As a manager, if you had the option to open to open your store an hour later, like two or three days a week than what you do now, but you had your your sales team come in and they spent that hour that you were closed following up with customers, would you do that? Like instead of opening up oh, at, at nine okay. o'clock, you'd open up at 10 <laughs> o'clock. Would you yeah. do that? I'll
0: go one step further. I would be open six hours a day, five days a week before being open 10 hours a day, six days a week. If I knew my team was following up, man, I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm just picking those numbers out, yeah. but like, yes, yeah, I would take, I would take that in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat because it means we're being intentional we pick the best jobs to go after we you know we, we focus our hours i mean if you're open less hours like you know yeah i
1: i would i you, you mentioned something else and i don't want to go too far off track but that to me was another key of following up focus on like focusing your opportunities is so important and if you want to if you want to install profitable jobs like pick the good ones Pick the ones that are easier for your installers, that are profitable, that you know aren't going to have problems. It's like if I'm following up with customers, like I'm calling the gas to gas inserts all day. We can knock those (laughs) out in two.
0: Yeah, I'm not calling back. Not calling back the inside fit corner glass door.
1: No, like we can (laughs) knock those out in two or three hours. It's six to seven grand. Like I'm taking that all day. So if I if I do, let's just say you're somebody that wants to start a follow up process, like that would be one of the most. Powerful recommendations I could make to you. If you're going to start organizing your customer information, rank your opportunities. Yeah. And if you if you take us up on the CRM that that we are offering, there there's an opportunity. There or there's a there's a column in that CRM that allows you to rank opportunities. But if let's just say you only have an hour a week to do it, capitalize on it. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to rank opportunities. Understand what your team's good at. Understand what's profitable, and, and focus there that's going deeper. Yeah. Start with the process. Take the time to do it.
0: Sam, this is so good. And to close out, I want to ask you this. I mean, I I, truly, man, you are, you're better at this than anyone I've ever met. And I, am glad you said it's a learned behavior. It it is for me too. I mean, it's, it's not a natural behavior of mine and maybe it's not a natural human behavior. I don't know, just with like fear of failure or rejection or anything, but uh, you know, so, so you work for Wi-Fi now and in in you know we all work remote we're still living in this weird pandemic situation so for you like can you just take me through like how do you org- like how do follow ups work for you now how do you organize your book of business can you take us through just like a day in your life
1: well it's not as clear now on how to organize opportunities right because it's subjective like a gas to gas insert versus a custom corner fireplace door like that's objective but as far as how i rank opportunities now it's really based on the substance of the conversations that I have with the people I'm on the phone with. Like, is it a good conversation? Do they buy into what we're trying to do? Are they somebody that wants to grow? Are they somebody that's looking into the future? Like those are the things that I rank opportunities on now. But as far as a day in life goes, Tim, first if you want to start paying my phone bill, that'd be great because I spend a lot of time on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, you're, that, that's why we're having this conversation.
1: <laughs> no, um, but yeah. So I would say, like at the start of every week, I've got a, a target list of customers, and sometimes it's based on nothing because I just I don't know every retailer in the country as much as I'd love to. I just don't. Um, but I would say this for people that we have connections to or people that we've met at trade shows or people that I know those are people that I'd go after and that that's a way to categorize opportunities but really it's a numbers game for us and what that means is follow up like you see every week we've got a report that we turn in that explains what our goals are what our goals are for the week and like at a minimum there's got to be at least 15 follow-ups on there for me it usually ends up being more than that between emails, phone calls, etc. But that's the name of the game, and it's it comes easier for me now because we built the habit of it working retail. Uh, yes, I could say this: a day in the life of Sam at wi fi is following up with customers. Hmm.
0: And I, I think, like at at its at its heart, when we allow the fear to overtake us. It's kind of us saying, it's not that important for me to help this person. That's it. Where when we actually believe like, no, this will help them. Like you kind of start to get mad about it. Like, no, like I'm calling them back because this will help them. Kind of like when I, you know, I, I I texted that person like, we're invoicing you because you got to do this. And, you know, you... I don't know. There, there, there's some situations. Obviously, if, if a customer tells you no, they're not interested. Like you don't follow up on it. But for so many folks, like you offer things that could make their life better. If, if someone's building a new construction house and they come into you for a fireplace, dude, they're buying a fireplace from somebody. It may as well be you, but it's gonna happen, right? There's there's so many things like that where we just got to realize, like if we can make their lives better, we owe it to them to follow up. And the second they tell us they're not interested, then then we can stop.
1: That's a great point. I mean, I hope that you're you're in a job or a position where you feel like whatever it is that you're offering is legitimate and it's going to make somebody's life better. Like I'm very fortunate to feel that way. And I felt the same way when I worked retail. I thought we had a great company, solid crews, and I knew at the end of the day, the customer was going to be taken care of. Totally. So it's got to start with that. But I think you're right. If you shift the mindset to, I'm doing something that's going to make this person's life better. It makes the fear of following up. It makes following up meaningful.
0: Yeah. Well, Sam, this has been super valuable. I I took a ton away. I know our audience will too. Thanks for
1: being here. Yeah. See you, Tim.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam O'Donnell. I mean, I get to chat with him quite a bit, but seriously, every time I do, I'm better for it. I, I love his thoughtfulness. You know, I get really amped up about things and Sam is, is much more even keeled, which I think serves him really, really well when he deals with sales situations. And, you know, everything that we talked about is speaking from experience. I mean, truly follow up doesn't come naturally to me. I, I fight the fear just like everybody else. I was actually talking to a business just a few weeks ago from the Midwest and letting them know that like even to this day, you know, if I'm making a follow-up call for Wi-Fi, or maybe I'm working with an advertiser in the Firetime magazine and they haven't said yes yet, I fight that same fear even to this day. It's just the fear of rejection. And that's okay, right? The fear of rejection is probably always gonna be there. And if you don't fear the rejection, you I mean, to be honest, you probably don't care enough. But but the truth is that Just because that fear's there doesn't mean it's wrong. It very often that's an indicator that I should push into this. So when we talk about this, like what's it take to to win at follow-up? I mean, honestly, like it doesn't take a lot. Like we mentioned at the beginning, you know, start with an hour, you know, three days a week. And if you can't do that, one hour, one day a week. But keep at it. What we've found, again, if a customer doesn't buy right away. Very often the magic with follow-up is between numbers five and seven. And, and, you know, people say like, wait, you want me to call a customer seven times? And the answer is yes. Yeah, I want you to call a customer seven times. Now, you don't call them seven times if they told you, I don't want to buy from you, I'm done. No, then you're done. But think about the busy world that we're in. People don't know your number. So they're probably going to screen the call the first time or the second time or the third time. People are busy. They're working jobs. They have kids. They have lives. Be persistent. Leave a thoughtful voicemail every single time. Vary it between an email, between a voicemail. If if it's appropriate, shoot out a text message. You got to be careful with that and make sure you've earned the right to text the customer. But vary your follow-ups. It is really powerful. And at the end of the day, like following up is service. These people took time out of their day to come and visit you depending on what stage of the funnel you're following up on, you know, they, they very well have invited you into their house. They're thinking about this project and how many companies do they want to deal with? Not many. And truly, I know this is true in, in, in the real estate industry. Bridget Brennan's talked about this, that very often it's the first person to follow up that wins because everybody else is too busy chasing new business, you know? So I, I think it's really powerful. And if you're scared... I would go into your follow-ups just understanding where the customer is in the sales pipeline. So if you think about this, right, for most companies, a sales pipeline is really simple. There's four stages. Stage one is the customer has received an estimate. Stage two, the customer has scheduled an in-home visit. Stage three, the in-home visit has been completed and the bid is finalized. And then stage four, the job is either won, lost, or put on hold. Really simple. So here's the cool thing. Before your follow-up call think about where the customer is in the pipeline. If they're at stage one, they've received an estimate. You're not calling asking for money. You're simply calling to ask if they want to schedule an in-home visit. That's easy. It's not intimidating. You just call and you say, Hey, Mrs. Smith, this is Tim calling from XYZ Fireplaces. I know you were into our showroom last week, taking a look at whatever the name of the product is, hey, our schedule starting to get really full and we wanted to get someone out to the house to take a look at everything and just finalize your numbers so that you have all the information you need to make a decision. Would there be a good time for us to come out next week? Right, that is not intimidating. It's a, it's a service call. You're helping the customer. You're serving them. You're not asking for the money because you know what is next in the pipeline. Now, let's say the customer's at stage three. The bid's been finalized. The in-home visit is done. So the only thing that's left is asking for the money, right? Well, now you just call. Again, same situation. Hey, Mrs. Smith, this is Tim calling from XYZ Fireplaces. I was calling last week because I know that our estimator was out and they took a look at everything and they got all the numbers finalized. Our schedule's starting to fill up and we'd love to get you on it. But I just wanted to call because we're actually running a promo next month that's going to get you $100 off of your project. And I wanted to make sure you had that before making a decision. Now, did you want to find a time to get on the schedule next month? right? There, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But but by knowing what's next in the pipeline, it it, it really helps you overcome the fear of failure that, that is very natural when you're starting to make these calls. That's been very, very powerful for me. You know, another thing, and you've heard us talk about this, is always have a reason. Now, truly, any follow-up is better than no follow-up. But where follow-up gets weird and scary is when you're like, oh, hi, I'm I'm calling just to check in on your project. Right, right. That starts to feel pretty weird pretty quick. Or, uh, hey, I didn't know if you wanted to um, place your order, so I'm just calling you to see if you wanted to do that. I mean, we've all heard people talk like that on the phone. I, I have talked like that in the past. Right That, that doesn't work. You, you want to call with a reason. If you're calling for their money, tell them you're calling for their money. You know, Hey, I'm just checking in. We have a price increase coming up in two weeks, and I wanted to get this started before that went into effect. Would you like to place your order? right? That's confident. You're, you're asking for what you want. You're giving them a reason, but, but if you want something more subtle, truly like call the customer and say, Hey, I was thinking about you. We just got an installation picture back from one of our jobs. It reminded me of your project and I'd love to send it to you. Would that be okay? That will naturally start a conversation. And if, I mean, no one's going to say no to that. Now, another thing with follow-up is when the customer says no, I would recommend pushing into why and still making a next step. Because very often no is not, no, I've bought it from a competitor. It's, no, we're not ready yet. Or, no, we're going to do the job next year. There's a million reasons why. Now, if they've already bought from a competitor, you you probably just check them off the list. Or if they tell you, nope, we're no longer doing a fireplace. But in most cases, they're going to tell you, oh, you know, we're still weighing out our options. And we'll let you know when we're ready push into that and just say, oh, okay, cool. What other options are you taking a look at? Well, you know, we're going to shop around and, and j- just see what else is out there. Okay, cool. You know, um, what 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 other places are you taking a look at? If you're if you're gracious in this, people will talk to you and you can still make a next step. So you can say, oh, awesome. Yeah. So you, you'll go around, you know, next week and, and take a look at what else is out there. Well, what if I gave you a call the week after just to touch base and to see how our bid looked compared to what else you found? This is powerful and very often people will allow you to do it. So therefore, when you call them back, you're doing what you said you're going to do when you said you were going to do it. So you can still ask for a next step all the time. You know, we, we could go on and on about this and I'm sure we'll do another episode about follow up in the future, but I hope you have a lot of practical takeaways. Now, as we round this episode out, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire Now, as I said earlier on, we are not quite to the end, but we're definitely on the tail end of season eight, which is crazy to think about. And truly, I mean, I am honored to be able to host this and our entire team is, is just humbled by the movement that's being created and just the ground that we're covering. So as you go into this next week, I want you to think really hard about what does follow-up look like for me, right? If you're a one-person operation, you probably don't have time to follow up. And I know you're listening to this being like, wait, Tim, you just said how important it is and all that. I, I get it, but you probably don't have time. But here's what you can do. You can outsource it to someone else. You can give them a list of 10 jobs a week, literally just putting on the customer's name, the phone number, the dollar value for the project and where it is in the sales pipeline. And literally you can give it to somebody else. You can give it to your kid. You can give it to the secretary. You can give it to your husband or to your wife and just say, call these 10 people and ask them for the next step. You know, if you're truly in a situation where you have no time, I get it, but somebody has time and you know what? it's okay if they don't know anything about fireplaces because they can write down the question, get it to you, and either you or them can call back with the answer. So there's no excuse for not putting it into place. And my hope is that this week you can take a concrete step to make that happen. So we'll talk to you again next week and I'm pumped to see what this does for you. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com